continuation of <clears throat> it's a continuation of what we saw last week in chapter 18 we've been talking about the work of a witness um, that's what acts is all about is being a witness you're going to be my witnesses in you know uh, jerusalem samaria judea the utter ends of the world that's uh that's what acts is all about and so um, here paul is paul is doing the work of a witness and what we're seeing here we're coming toward the end of the book we're in 18 i think it's 28 chapters so we're coming toward the end of it and uh, uh what we are seeing here is as far as the roman empire is concerned paul is going out toward the very edges of it i mean he's out in asia minor right around in greece you know corinth and close to the edge of europe uh, he has gone he's gone out to the ends of the earth as they were known you know at that time it's not the ends of the planet but the ends of the of the roman world and so uh the gospel has gone from jerusalem judea samaria we've seen it and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we go into acts chapter 19 which is a very debated passage very lots of different people are sticking their own viewpoints into acts chapter 19 so we'll talk about that when we get there but we're going to continue looking at the two the two things that I know that that I received from this passage was the work of Christ's witness. We talked about different things last week about what Paul was doing and the work of what witnesses should do. This week, <clears throat> what I see here is that the first thing is he's strategic. He's purposeful about what he's doing. He's not just wandering around witnessing to whoever. He's got a mission. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's being strategic about what he's doing. He's intentionally going out. It's the difference between leaving your house in the morning, going to work, going just, you know, just going to work and I'm just going to work. And leaving your house in the morning, going to work, going, man, I wonder who I can tell about the gospel today. I wonder who I, what Jesus is going to do you know what circumstances he's going to put me in that's the difference that i'm saying paul is paul is strategic he's purposeful he's he's uh, determined about what he's what he's doing and he's going to do it uh, over and over again and the second thing is that he's not just a, a traveling evangelist he is a discipler he's going to go back to these churches that he started and he's going to what it is he's going to call it what it's called strengthening the brethren he's going to strengthen them so even when we talk about being a witness if you're talking about being a witness when that comes to your mind i say hey guys y'all need to be a witness most of the time you're thinking go out there and evangelize people and that is being a witness but it's also uh the witness's duty a witness for christ is to strengthen the brethren to pour yourself into uh the brothers and sisters in christ to uh disciple people that was the command jesus gave to make disciples it didn't say it didn't say just make converts it says make disciples and so that's what we're going to see as we talk about Apollos being discipled and, and all, all those kind of things. <clears throat> so uh, in verses 18, as we left off in 17, um, is there anything y'all want to say? Anything before we get started? I am definitely not fixing to talk this whole hour. Good? All right, I'm going to read it. What? He obviously didn't hear that, did he? What did you say? Did she say good? No, she said yes you are. She said yes you are. <laughs> I'm going to try not to. If you would say something, we can have a discussion. In verse 18, it says, Paul is going to complete his second missionary journey. And he's going to start his third. And there's not a lot of space given to it. I mean, it's almost like it's a passing thing. He came home. He stayed there a little while. Then he left again. 
Uh, it says, <clears throat> let me just read 18 through 23, and then we'll talk about what all it says. It says, and Paul, after this, tarried. Where is he tarrying at? Where was he at? No. Not yet. What did we talk about last week? Where was he? Not yet. He was in Corinth. No, yeah, he was in Athens before he was in Corinth. Then he was in Corinth, and then he's going to go to Ephesus. And Paul, remember what happened in Corinth? He got let off the hook. Gallio said, this ain't, I'm not listening to y'all's case, and dismissed it all. Huh? Yeah, he said, I'm not, that's not my thing. And so Paul was free to go ahead and keep on working. So he did. He says, and after this, after this trial, after this, uh, where Paul got let off the hook, uh, he tarried there yet a good while. <clears throat> says he continued the mission. He continued working there until his work was done. And then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head, uh, cut his hair off. In Cancrea, for he had a vow. Now, it's a lot going on in there. Um, I don't know why he cut his hair. It's a Nazarene vow. It could be. We're not for sure. The Nazarite vow was that you not cut your hair. Right. But at the end, if you look in Numbers chapter 6, where it talks about the Nazarite vow, at the end of the vow, you cut your hair and you offered it with a sacrifice at the temple. The Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow, and I'm not saying it, it... I have some problems with it being a Nazarite vow. I'm saying it could be. That's why I put in the outline it might be a Nazarite vow. Uh, the uh, Only some people like John the Baptist, Samson, took this vow for life. I thought it was all for life. No, no. Most of the time, it's just for a set period of time, and then you, like it's what you would like you would consecrate yourself. You know, maybe you would fast for a period of time, or it, it's the same same principle that you just show devotion or thanksgiving or whatever for God. Um, I'm thinking whatever it was, whether it was Nazarite vow or not, uh, it was definitely. I, I think, in my opinion, it was definitely to show thanksgiving and devotion for what God had done. He gave him the vision that nobody's going to hurt you in this city, and then. It happened just like he said. And so the truth is we're not told. We're not told what vow it was. I mean, really, he said the reason he cut his hair was because it was a vow. It was a vow that he had made. And if it was a Nazarite vow, this is the problem I have with it. I mean, it seems like that's what it is because that's what they did at the end of it. But the problem I have is if it was a Nazarite vow... He would have to take the if you if you take the vow away from Jerusalem, uh, you have to at the end of the vow when it's over, you have to shave your head and you have to present that hair uh, at the temple within 30 days and with a sacrifice. And I'm sorry, I just can't see Paul offering no animal in the temple no more. I mean, he's preached the gospel all this time. Maybe this is just part of his tradition, and Maybe he did it. Maybe it's between him and God. Maybe so. Like I said, it doesn't tell us, so I can't be sure. I can't say this is what it is. And I thought maybe you had something in your history. No, no. I mean, I got a lot of people that say it's this or that, but it's a lot of disagreement. So uh, I can't be dogmatic about it and say this is what it means because... To be honest, I don't know. There's a lot in this passage that I don't know that we're going to talk about. But uh, Cancrea is like the port city next to Corinth. So it's just a, it's like 11 miles, 7, 8, 9 miles away from Corinth. So they went to this port city. They're about to sail off. Why is he going to Syria? Where? What's, what's in Syria? That's where he first started. 
That's where his home church is, Syrian Antioch. That's where he's going. You get the picture of Paul. Paul's going home. I mean, he's like, you know, I'm finished my deal. I'm going back to my home church. I'm going back to home. And we've, we've talked about this before. Paul was not just a wandering, no church having person. Antioch was his home church. That's where he started. They were the ones who commissioned him. They were the ones who funded him, partly anyway. They were the ones who laid hands on him and ordained him to go. And he, they, he after every missionary journey, he went right back to this church. And so this was his home. This was his home church. How long do you think he's been gone at this point? Years. Years and years and years. Do you have any idea about how long? I mean, your guess is probably good as mine. I would, if I'm just shooting at a number, I would say, you mean just in this missionary journey or all of them? You know, you say, you know, he's finally going home at this point because this is, isn't this his first time back home? Uh-uh. No, okay. second, second. second. This will be, yeah, this is his second missionary journey. The first one, he went out through Galatia, Phrygia, all those, Iconium, Lystra. Mm-hmm. The second one, he went all the way to Corinth, Athens, you know, all that. And so he's going back. I would say, if I just had to guess, and this is a guess, it's not anything other than what's in my head, so it's not infallible. But I would say at least four or five years he's been gone on the second missionary journey. He spent 18 months in Corinth. We know that. It tells us that. It's probably a six-month journey just to, you know, if we're assuming that he's walking or riding a donkey or something. Uh, it's probably a six-month journey from Corinth all the way to Syria and Antioch on foot. So, you I mean, you got a, a year's worth of walking right there, yeah. you know. And so uh, it's probably probably four or five years, I would imagine, right. I would guess. One of the maps on the Internet said that Paul's missionary journey was from 46 to 48 A.D. was the first one, and from the second one was 49 to 52. Four nine fifty one. Hey, that's four years. I was pretty close. She said the uh, map on the internet told her that the first one was forty six to forty eight AD, and the second one was forty nine to fifty two AD. Forty six to forty eight was the first one. That's a couple years, and forty nine to fifty two. Forty nine to fifty two was the second one. The reason they know for a fact it was we know for a fact he was in Corinth between fifty one and fifty two because we know for a fact that Gallio was proconsul of Corinth for the, right. that one year. So that's why we can date him right there at that time. And so if he stayed there 18 months, he's he's on his way back home. Uh, but here's the thing. Have you ever done something? You ever, I mean, done like a mission or invested yourself in someone or just, you know, done something for God. And when it's over, you felt like, man, I'm going home to relax. You know, that's what Paul's probably feeling. But the thing about him, the thing that I don't do <coughs> is he he ministers and I mean he continues the mission all the way home like all the way home he's going to stop in Ephesus and he's going to minister in the synagogue he's going to he's going to do the preaching of the word he's going to do I'm telling you what when I get done doing like like youth camp when I come back from youth camp you better not talk to me about Jesus I'm ill and I'm ready to go to bed leave me alone but that's not what Paul was doing I mean he uh he he went he stopped in Ephesus, it says, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. Who is them? Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. See, even on his way home, they're going to they're gonna beg him to stay in Ephesus. And he's going to say, no, I've got to go. But he still stopped and <laughs> did the mission. He still, even... He was going out for the mission and doing that along the way. And as he's even going home, he's still on mission. 
He's still doing the he's still doing the mission. He's still stopping in the synagogues. He's still preaching and, and spreading the gospel of Christ. He's doing those things even after. And he leaves uh, Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus when he leaves. Uh, and what about them? I mean, when he met Priscilla and Aquila, who were they? What do they do? They're tent makers. They left Rome under Claudius's edict that all the Jews had to get out. Now, all of a sudden, they leave their business. They leave their home. They, they're following Paul on mission. And not only are they following him, they're not just stuck up on Paul like, you know, we're Paul's disciples. They go from Corinth to Ephesus, and then they stay there. They become, they become missionaries. They become... Disciplers. They've become, and we're going to see here at the end of this chapter that they actually go to the synagogue and are presumably uh, teaching the gospel and, and witnessing to people. They're going to be the ones who disciple this guy that we're going to meet called Apollos in the in the in the synagogue. So not only is Paul uh, on mission. All the time, even when he's going home, even when he's done with the work that he was set out to do, he's still on mission. But the the people that he's with also became missionaries, and they they just uprooted. I mean, they just uprooted and left their place in Corinth, left their business, left all that, and they went to where God told them to go, and they stayed where God told them to stay. They stayed in Ephesus, and, and we're going to see that God's going to use them in a in a real and mighty way there in Ephesus. And if you uh, look at Romans. 16 verse 3 you mean you don't have to look at it now Paul is going to say that Priscilla and Aquila were uh, gave themselves for me and for the mission of Christ they were they were integral parts of the church's work in uh, in uh, in Christ this couple is they're they're on mission and we already talked about the vow right so the ministry in Ephesus. He came to Ephesus. He entered the synagogue. He started doing that. When they desired him to tarry longer, a longer time with him, with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast and cometh to Jerusalem, but I will return again to you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So why did he leave Ephesus? <clears throat> why did he leave Ephesus? It seemed like they were bearing fruit. It seemed like they wanted them to stay. These weren't people that were have rioted. You know, they're going to do that in the next chapter, but they haven't done it yet. Uh, it so seemed like people to keep a feast to keep what feast? I think it's he's got to persevere on into the ministry. You know, keep feeding into people, mm-hmm. feeding into God's kingdom. If by all means I must keep the feast, let me let me look at my. I think it was to keep them Christ-centered, and so they wouldn't just hang up on him so much. It's possible. I, like I said, I, I don't have the answer. It's one of the questions I text out. I there's arguments that can be made. You know, for all all different sides of this thing. What are we in Acts eighteen versus this? 21. It's possible. If Go ahead. This is just life, I know it don't matter. 
think Why don't it matter? You just a peon. You're not a peon, Miss Judy. I think the the feast that they talk about more in the Bible than any of them would be the Passover. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's the Passover is the reason he's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. It's the Passover. And he knew that he was leaving the people of Ephesus in good hands with Priscilla and Aquila. He was, yeah. He knew that he was leaving them there. I'm listening to you. I'm just trying to look up something as I'm, as I'm listening. I thought that would still give him opportunity to share the gospel with the Jews. Uh, that would become a permissive Jew. Mm-hmm. Because he's there with Exactly. Yeah. Because they all rushed back to Jerusalem for the Passover. And this was going to give him the perfect opportunity to witness to them about the gospel. Yeah. If it was the Passover, it would have been on April 4th, eighty fifty-two. There's some people that say, and this is... He would have been there during that time because the second missionary journey was from 49 to 50. Right. Uh, and it could be... <clears throat> it, it seems like he is going to go to Jerusalem because we're going to see he went up to see the church. I'll show you that in a minute, but... Remember, if he, he was taking a Nazarite vow, he cut his hair off, he would have to bring that hair to the temple. But, you know, I don't know. I have I, I have my misgivings about, about that. I just don't think he offered that hair. I think he <laughs> <laughs> He just chunked it, huh? <clears throat> it's possible. We just don't know. Yeah, that's right. It could be. It could be. But we do know that he is going to leave here, and we do know that he is going to... <clears throat> I mean, I, I can make a case that he's going to go to uh, to Jerusalem anyway. So let me just move on, and then we'll come back to that if we have time. It says, And when he landed at Caesarea he and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. See, that's why... I, I can say he went to Jerusalem because he landed in Caesarea and whenever Jerusalem was set up higher than the rest of the surrounding land. And so whenever somebody says I'm going, they'll say I'm going up to Jerusalem. And then he says he went down to uh, to Antioch. If you have a map, Caesarea is like right in the middle. Jerusalem is south and Antioch is north. Right. So he says I went up to the church. Which it's possible it could be the church in Caesarea, but more likely it says he went up to the Jerusalem church and then he went way north to go to Antioch. But he says, I went down to Antioch. And so that's coming out of Jerusalem going to Antioch. And so uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, and I'm not dogmatic about it, but I'm pretty sure that he did, in fact, go to visit the church in the in Jerusalem. And if he greeted the church, it says he, if, if he went to Jerusalem and saluted the church, that's what it says, you know, greeted the church, um, this might be an indication as to why, for some reason, he had to get to this the feast that was going on in Jerusalem. It was to some to some extent to minister to the church maybe or to explain about his missionary journeys. The fact is we just don't know. I just don't I just don't know. This is all this is coming out of my mind and so we just don't know. We just don't know why. But we do know that he left Ephesus when they were begging him to stay 
And so we understand that he, he, he felt like God was telling him to go. Because he did tell them, you know, I'm going to return to you if the Lord wills. You know, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to return to you. He says in 21, it says, but I will return to you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And he's going to come in the very next chapter, first verse in the next chapter, he's going to come back to Ephesus. So we know that God did will. And then it's just so strange to me that it gives one verse after he had spent some time there, what time? What, where is there? Where was he at? Antioch. He was in church at Antioch. He departed and went all over the country of Galatia, Phrygia, in order, in order, strengthening all the disciples. And then and it, we have another section in chapter 19, verse one. He's going to be in Ephesus. Paul gives one verse. I mean, Paul. Luke gives one verse, and it covers. 1,500 miles of travel <laughs> from from Antioch all the way to Ephesus, back again to Ephesus. It's almost like this verse 23 is the end of Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. But it's almost like an afterthought. He was like, you know, he, he was in Antioch. You know, after he spent some time there, he left again and he went up to, you know. And then he shows us while Paul is gone, we're going to get to meet this guy named Apollos. And um, we're going to find out. Apollos is a man who is, uh, he's a smart guy. He's an eloquent guy. He's a good speaker, very charismatic. There's going to be some question, and we can debate the question whether he was a Christian or not. That's what we're going to talk about because. See, that's a possibility. Let's read it and we'll talk about it. We'll get everybody involved. I had a, we had a, we had a dinner last night and there was, we were talking about it and, well, we, we couldn't, we couldn't come to a reasonable conclusion. Verse twenty four says, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This is while Paul is gone. Uh, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Now, when, when Luke uses the word Lord in Acts, overwhelmingly, it's always Jesus he's talking about. And so he taught, that word diligently is akrobos. And uh, it could mean, it could mean, and it does, it's translated in other places as accurately or perfectly or completely or circumspectly or diligently. So that's really the question. Is he teaching accurately the things of the Lord or is he just real zealous and teaching diligently? Uh, he said, but he says he, he's new only of the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass uh, into Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him who when they was come helped them much which had believed through grace for he mightily convinced Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now the problem that I have, the listen, the way that the text is framed, the language that it used, if you were reading this for the first time, you don't have any preconceived anything, you would almost think, you would think that Apollos is a believer. He just didn't understand the rite of baptism. Because it says he 
was instructed in the Lord. He was already mighty in Scripture. He was a Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria is the second biggest city in the Roman Empire, second only to Rome. It was known for education, had the biggest library in the ancient world, all, all kind of things going on. Lots and lots. For centuries, there had been lots of Jews in Alexandria. Uh, that's where the Septuagint was translated 200 years before Christ. And so uh, he was from Alexandria, well taught, well studied, said he's mighty in the Scripture. It says that he was instructed in the way of the Lord, whenever Luke uses the word Lord in, uh, in, in Acts, it's almost overwhelmingly of Christ. And it says that he taught diligently about the Lord. He taught diligently about the Lord. That's what he was doing in the synagogue. And he was zealous. He wasn't just a, a smart academic guy that was boring. He was passionate. He was zealous. I mean, it's almost like a little mini Paul that, that this guy just shows up in the, in the synagogue. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And Aquila and Priscilla, who are laymen, they are not, they are not, they're educated, but they're they're just they're not, you know, preachers or whatever. They're just regular folks. They were tent makers. They were Jewish people. When they heard him preaching, they recognized that there was something missing from his exposition. He only knew of the baptism of John, and so what they did was they didn't stop him. They didn't stand up and argue with him like Paul did so many times in the synagogue. Uh, they took him privately to their home and they taught him, instructed him, and from that moment, the the, the problem that I had. And this is just a problem of, of interpretation. The problem that I have in discussing this topic is there's no mention that Apollos is baptized. There's no mention that he received the Holy Spirit. There's no mention. It's almost as if they're discipling him. I mean, that's the way the text says. But... My real problem is the very next section we're going to look at next week in chapter 19, Paul is going to run up on some people who only know about the baptism of John in Ephesus, which might be this guy's, some of his disciples. And Paul is going to say to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? And they're going to say, we didn't even know there was the Holy Spirit. And in that case, they are not believers because Paul's going to... Give them the gospel, baptize them in the name of the, in the name of Jesus, and they are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes it clear in Romans that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not you're none of his. You're not his child. So I can say for assuredly that those people in Acts chapter 19, the first seven verses, are not believers. But here, Apollos, the language is the way that it's framed, the way that it's used, it almost seems like he was a believer in Christ, though he only knew of the baptism of John. Which makes me think there's a lot of ways you can think about this. Maybe he was, he had heard John preach, and a lot of people came in for the Passovers. He'd heard John preach. John said, There he is, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He knew about the death, the burial, resurrection, but he maybe he departed before Pentecost and didn't know about the baptism being in the name of Christ now. and all. There's lots of ways you can do it. You can say that he wasn't a believer. And to be honest with you, I'm not going to argue with you because it could, it could go, like I told you in the text message, there's good arguments on both sides. I kind of think that he was um, hungry just for the knowledge and not for the change. Who, Apollos? Yeah. That's kind of how it's presented. Yeah, it's presented like a history teacher. Very knowledgeable teacher. about all this stuff, and it makes sure it tells you he's knowledgeable mm -hmm. in all of those ways. But then he comes here, and he's you know kind of telling all that he knows, but he's not presenting. <coughs> right. Christ wanted him
but wasn't aware that it was Jesus that he was supposed to be talking about. And that may be the case. I don't have any argument against it. Yes, ma'am. Um, in chapter 19, from the very start, it's got Holy Ghost in capital letters because he is a person. And here in, in verse 25, is it 25? Yes. It said, you know, he was instructing the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. And spirit is not capitalized. So I'm, that leads me to believe that he was fervent in his personality. He was bold about what he needed. But it also goes back to what we have been taught here at this church. You're either 100% righteous or you're yeah. zero. Well, two things. Number one, I think you're right when it says fervent in spirit. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. But you, you can't get that from capitalization because but it was all capital letters in the Greek I, text. And I understand that, but it doesn't it doesn't make that. No, no, I think you're right. Person. It wasn't the Holy Spirit he was fervent in. It was his spirit. And the translators thought so, too. That's why they have a small S there. Um, he was fervent in spirit means he was passionate. Yeah. It was, doesn't mean he had the Holy Spirit. Right. So that leads me to think that, you know, just like a lot of people today... He thinks he has it. He thinks he's got it. But with the missionaries that came in, they perfected uh -huh. his knowledge in that the Messiah is Christ. Now, whether, you know, I don't, like you said, the scripture doesn't say that he was baptized or whatever, but it does say that, you know, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Right. You know, so they showed him, you know, what you know is right. But we're going to show you even more. You know, he was—he was not. He believed in John's baptism by water, but not mm -hmm. the Acts baptism by the Holy Ghost. Right. And see, I—I'm with that. I agree with everything you just said. My issue is. If you shot me right now, I'm I'm gonna fall dead over on the side that says he was a believer. I mean, I'm not wedded to it, and I sure ain't fighting no battles to make sure that he's because I don't know. But the way that it's framed, the way that it talks about him, it, it just seems like I mean, as soon as they finished discipling him or teaching him or explaining him more perfectly, I mean, they sent his butt off to Achaia to be a missionary. You know what I mean? I mean. So I, I'm not discounting. I'm sure not. There's smarter people than me that say he wasn't. So I'm not. Well, I think he was a believer after. I think he was a believer, you know, fully in the gospel. He was given the full gospel after the missionaries came and talked to him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was definitely after they did their thing, for sure, no doubt. I think he was just extremely knowledgeable. I think he had a lot of head knowledge and not the heart knowledge. You think? Until Priscilla and Aquila come into the picture. Yeah. And said, you know, come here, buddy. We got to talk. <laughs> you know, that's what I told him. Look here. You know, you've got some of this, but you ain't got all of it. I, I'm interested. There's that... preachers today. I mean, there's there's preachers in the pulpit that are lost, but under their knowledge and instruction, people have come to know Jesus. So I'm, I think the same thing. It sounds like because nowhere in there does it say that he well, they heard him preaching. He was preaching in synagogue. He was preaching in synagogue, passionate, knowledgeable. They obviously heard something deficient in his in his teaching. Yes. Well, it says, help them much which have believed through grace. Grace was taken out of it apparently, or it would not have been put in here. We got to have. Well, now make sure you're reading. Uh, 
Verse 27 and 28 is talking about Apollos' work after he left. Yeah. Okay. And verse 26 is talking about Priscilla and Aquila's work with Apollos. Okay. Kenneth, what were you saying? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just saw that. It. Yes. This is my first time reading it, and the way I read it was almost like Apollo was a history teacher. He was excited to tell everybody this is the truth, this is the history of it, but he didn't realize how it affected his life. That's very possible. Very possible. And she, and uh, I say she, Aquila, Priscilla is the she. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, the tongue tire there. When they when they took him aside, they kind of explained how the gospel is fulfilled in Christ and how it's been done. That uh, I mean, I I can't argue against that at all. Like I said, there's there's good arguments on both sides whether he was or wasn't. Uh, so I'm not going to. That's not a battle I'm going to fight. You know, if if he wasn't, he definitely was after Priscilla and Aquila got with him. But think about this. This guy. First of all, what kind of man must Apollos have been? And what kind of people must have Priscilla and Aquila been? Think about it in our context. Dude walks in while we're talking. And he's got more letters after his name than a thermometer. And he's just, I mean, memorized. Let's memorize the whole Bible. You know, just popping them off. Knows things, all kind of things and whatever. And two laymen. Two people who don't hold any office, who don't, you know, nowhere near as educated as Apollos. They take him aside and they instruct him more perfectly. And first, he receives their instruction. And second, they thought to themselves, we need to help this guy. See, sometimes we find ourselves sitting out in the, you know, sitting out in the pews and uh, you know, you go to a, go to another church or go to a, a conference center or whatever. You know, just whatever. And you hear somebody and you're thinking uh, they off base right there. What we what we want to do is we'll just want to sit around and talk and say, look, you know, this is where he missed it. I do it myself. This is where he missed it. This is where you know whatever. And instead of doing that, they took him and helped him. They took him aside and helped him. And they didn't do it disrespectfully. They didn't stand up in the middle of the synagogue and say, Hey, you ain't, you ain't right. You're not do-. You know, they took him. He let him finish. He finished his deal. They took him aside. So they took him into their own home and they instructed him. And he had to have been appreciative of that. Yeah, he, evidently he received it, didn't he? Because Some a lot of people would, have, would not have. First in the uh, scripture and the law real well and he was waiting for Peter to show up. Who? Cornelius. Cornelius, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He uh he must have been he must have been uh, the Holy Spirit must have been working on him that he would receive instruction. A lot of people won't receive instruction from somebody, especially if you kind of think they're uh, below you or whatever. I remember we went to this youth camp in Linden as a kids camp in Linden, and this preacher I mean, it wasn't a matter of doctrine. He was right. I mean, he was a good preacher. But he jacked up the meaning of this Greek word in one of his sermons. And I passed him, you know. I was young and dumb and a little more zealous then. And I found him out in the walking around the camp. And I was like, hey, you know. you." And he wasn't listening to no instruction from me at all. When, you know, I was 
I was trained in, in in Greek, and he admitted that he wasn't. And so, but I was just a peon, you know. I was young and stupid, and and he was he was right in everything that he said, but it was just this one word, and he wasn't going to receive any instruction about it. And I can look in my own life where someone comes to instruct me, and I kind of went. Phew. Well, what I want to do is say, well, let's look at your stuff, you know what I mean, rather than receiving instruction. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that both that Priscilla and Aquila modeled a discipler's behavior in gently and respectfully taking this person to, you know, to help them, not just to, you know, if I want to be honest with my own heart, I was looking for that dude in that camp so I could set him straight. I didn't care about helping him. I was sinfully doing it. But it seems like here Priscilla and Aquila were, they really wanted to help this guy. They really, because he was an asset. He's going to be an asset to the church. If you read in uh, the letter of the, to the Corinthians, his name's going to be brought up because people were dividing in the church following Apollos rather than Jesus and Paul and, and all those kind of things. And so he's going to be an asset to the church and they saw potential in him and rather than just saying, hey, you got it all wrong or whatever, they gently took him aside and they tried to instruct him in love and he for whatever reason received it and accepted it and then became you know, missionary his own self. So whether you take him, whether you take him as being lost before Priscilla and Aquila got him, or saved before Priscilla and Aquila got him, either way, um, what you see here is a you see a you see an interaction that is often well I know it's not often modeled in my own life, but it's not modeled a lot in the church either. You know, we have people that want to instruct you, but they want to do it not out of love, but just out of I'm a, I'm a good instructor, you know. I've got a supervisor like that at work. You know, he's got this. I'm serious. He's got this attitude because I'm your supervisor. I know more than you do. When I've been there eight years, and he's been there six months. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. It don't work. <laughs> don't talk to me. That's right. <laughs> you know, he wants documentation on everything. Then you need to go to the legal department. You go, girl. There's people like that all over, and you don't. Uh, but then on Apollos' side as well, he was receptive of these lay people. I mean, they he, remember it said this guy was, he was extremely, not only extremely educated, it says he was mighty in the scripture. I wish somebody, that's what I want to characterize my life. You know, it's not now, but I wish it was. I want to be mighty in the scripture. I mean, this guy was educated, he was mighty in the scripture, yet he took instruction from this lady and her husband. You know, it's... It, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot going on in there. It's a lot we can learn from their interaction. Whether you think he was Christian already or not, whether you think he knew. Did you show love towards your supervisor? I just went. I just you went and told him. him. I just went and told him. Well, I didn't tell him. I just went and told him. Did you try to help him understand the error of his ways? I don't have this documentation. Well, how did you know this? It's the way I was taught in class eight years ago. And I said, you're either going to have to go to the legal department to get it, or you're going to have to go to our distributor. You're really good friends with the vice president there because I get emails from both of you all the time. Talk to her because I don't have it. I'm just going by the rules that I was taught by. Yeah. And he he wants everything in front of him written in paper. You can't just tell him something and he take your word for it. 
you know, he's, well, I don't believe, he's got this, I don't believe you attitude, show me. Missouri. <laughs> Trust but verify. Trust but verify. That's right. All right. So now we're going to talk next week. I'm probably going to do just the first seven verses because a lot of people are importing their own doctrines. A lot of different denominations import their own doctrines into this next section. Very important section that we're going to read when Paul meets these disciples of John and says, "Have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been since you've been baptized? Into whom were you baptized?" Uh, and so we're going to talk a lot about that. Apollos, I'm not going to fight and die on that hill. Acts chapter 19, I'm going to stand very firmly. They were not believers in any way, shape, or form. All they knew about was John, and Paul instructs them. Then they received the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. This Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, are you sure they're male and female? Yes. How? Because so Priscilla is... Kind of the name of a female and the other one's Priscilla is a female name. Aquila is a male name. Really? Yeah. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, in Acts 18, verse 2, it says, And found he a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately came from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Yeah. Well, that kind of settles it. All right, so any questions, comments? All right, so be sure to read those first seven verses. We may not get past those because we're going to talk about a lot of different doctrines. We're going to talk about a lot of different uh, denominational things that people use this verse as a proof text for and why it's so or not so. So uh, I'll probably, I had a hard time with this outline. That's why you didn't get it till yesterday. So I'll try to go quicker with it next week. Okay? Anything else? All right. Father, we love you. We come before you today, and we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can discuss it. We can uh, we can debate it. We can talk about the things uh, that are uh, not pertinent to our salvation, and we, we can discuss about the person.